um, but we are in Mark chapter 8. We will begin in verse 27 and go through the end of the chapter. In your pew Bible, there's a pew Bible there in front of you. So if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a Bible there in front of you. I encourage you to pick it up. Turn to page 1003 so you can read along with us. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. We want you to take it home. It's not stealing. We actually want you to have that Bible. We want you to have a Bible that you read. We believe in the importance of being in the Word of God. Again, this is Mark chapter 8. We begin in verse 27, and the Pew Bible is on page 1003. And there it's written in God's Word. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and he must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples... He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when, the, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us go to him in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're going to go and learn a little bit about Greek today, some Greek alphabet with us here. Uh, On our communion table, you see the letters I-H-S. And growing up as a kid, I had no idea what that even meant. And I think at one point I was told it means in his service. And I was like, wow, that's a, a really cool thing and an odd thing to also abbreviate. Um, but IHS, in his service. And I, and I was with that. But, but these are actually Greek letters. This is uh, Iota, Eta, and Alungate Sigma on the table here. And these are the first three letters in how you spell Jesus in Greek. So the iota also can come and have a, a soft J when, when saying iota, when reading the Greek. It comes with a soft J. And so sometimes when uh, translating, it's not written with the I, it's written with a J. And so 
it's been written in the Loongate Sigma isn't always a, a small S. Sometimes it looks like a C when writing it out in Latin. And so uh, it's written in other places, J-H-C. And so in the 19th century America, uh, the letters we use are, are Latin form letters in our English language. And, and so there were some Americans who didn't understand Greek letters. And so they saw a J-H-C in church and they thought, okay, the J is clearly for Jesus and the C is for Christ. So the H must be his middle name. Jesus H. Christ. I promise this is how it started. 19th century United States, Jesus H. Christ comes about. In fact, in our own tradition here, Alexander Campbell, one of the founders, around 1847, wanted to publish some pamphlets. And, and so in there, the, the printer went and made the typeset, although he forgot some words. And so instead of just rearranging everything, he shortened the words Jesus Christ and abbreviated J.C. And when he sent a proof off to Alexander Campbell to look at before printing all of them, Alexander Campbell was furious. You don't abbreviate Jesus's name. And so this put a lot of work back onto the printer and the printer goes through. And so out of his um, passive aggressive nature, shall we say, he put in the pamphlets, Jesus H. Christ. And, and, and so somewhere since that time, it's become a misnomer that Christ is Jesus's last name. And that's simply not true. That's not Jesus's last name. Christ is his title. Christ is who he is. Christ, it translates, that's the Greek word, Christ, the, the Hebrew word that it translates to is Messiah, and Messiah in Hebrew stands for anointed one of salvation. And so Jesus is the Christ. This is what Peter confesses here when Jesus confronts his disciples. And so they're out there doing ministry, right? And Jesus just casually asks them, right? We think everything with Jesus is a bit casual. And he just asks them, so who do people say that I am? Like, you've got your ear to the street. What are, what's being said about me? He goes, oh, well, some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're Elijah and others say you're prophets. And all the disciples are answering this question. They're, they're almost in unison in how they talk. And then Jesus says, but who do you say now, this is an important question. This is, this is a monumental question. This is a, a question that each and every one of us all over the world has to answer at some point. Who do you say that Jesus is? And there's many options for us, right? We could go with, well, he's, he's like John the Baptist and creating a way in a wilderness, or, or he's like Elijah or a, or a prophet or... Or, he, you know, he could even be similar to Muhammad. You know, he was a really good man that showed us a really good way to live. And if we just follow his example, everything will be hunky-dory. I spent two weeks in Texas, so you're going to get some of it. But Jesus refuses all of those titles. Jesus claims that he is the Son of God. Jesus himself claims to be the Messiah. 
And so at some point, Jesus keeps claiming to be the Messiah. He keeps claiming to be the Christ. He keeps claiming to be the Son of God. We are left with really only two options. Jesus is either an extreme nutcase or he is the Messiah. Now, when the disciples are asked this question, but who do you say that I am? Peter is the one who pipes up. Right? He's, he's the kid with the right answer. Peter's the loudmouth. He wants everyone to know he has the right answer. The rest of the disciples are quiet. Maybe they're not too sure. And Peter says, you are the Christ. He didn't say, I think you are the Christ. You might be the Christ. I have an inclination that you look and sound like the Christ. But he said, you are the Christ. Now here in Mark's version of the gospel, he's, and his source is really Peter. Peter's telling him, uh, John Mark, all of this. And so Peter's a little bit humble and, and just goes on and says, and Jesus told us all to be quiet and not tell anybody. Now in Matthew's gospel, and, and he has his sources, Jesus praises Peter for this confession. How blessed you are that you realize that I am the Messiah. And then Jesus goes on and he continues and before telling them not to tell anyone. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now for centuries and even to this day, that gets misinterpreted badly. That Peter is the rock. Peter is a man. Peter is not the rock. He's not the foundation of the church on which it is built. It's the confession Peter makes. For in Matthew, the confession is that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the foundation of Jesus' church. That is what all of it is built on and that hell will not prevail against because it is Jesus upon the cross who conquers sin and death, who raises over and beats Satan down. Because he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so all of this is going on. And, and, and so something happens in, in Matthew's gospel, right? Peter gets the name Peter in that moment. That's where he gets his, his name changed, or that's where we see it changed. Jesus calls him a different name. He calls him Peter. And so it, it's easy to mistake and say, well, Peter called him Christ, so now his name must be Jesus Christ. And that's where it, kind of the last name and the full name of Jesus comes in. But it's really Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Peter makes this confession. Jesus tells everyone, all right, you don't get to tell anybody. Jesus isn't ready for people to know. And so, but now that they know and he agrees with them and he says, yes, I am the Messiah, tell, don't tell anybody. He then goes on to foretell of his death and resurrection. This is the first of three times he will do this with the disciples before the passion comes for him. And in our gospel, it says he told them plainly. He told them plainly that he must suffer many things. He told them plainly that he must be rejected by the chief priest and the scribes and the Pharisees. He told them plainly that he must die. And that three days later, he would rise again. And Peter couldn't handle it. 
Peter couldn't handle it. He just confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. This, they have been waiting for the Messiah since King David had passed. This was the one who would deliver them from their oppressors and set them free. Right? The, the understanding of Messiah for the Jewish people was that the Messiah would come and kick out the Romans so that they could live free. But when Jesus immediately tells them plainly of his suffering and rejection like a counterfeit coin and his death and his resurrection, he's showing them that as Messiah, he came not for earthly political power. He came with a deep spiritual power. And, and Peter just can't grasp this. And there's good reason for it. Not only had there been a long-awaited Messiah, but even in Scripture in Isaiah 45, verse 1, Cyrus the Great is given the moniker Messiah, anointed one of salvation. And it's because there they were in captivity in Babylon. They were exiled out of, out of Jerusalem and out of Israel, and they are in Babylon as captives. Cyrus the Great comes and conquers Babylon the Babylons, and he sets them free. And he allows them to go home and rebuild their temple. And so he is called Messiah. And so we can then understand why Peter wouldn't grasp what Jesus meant by Messiah. Because he had an understanding of Cyrus the Great. He had an understanding of King David. He did not have an understanding of one who would reconcile us to our Father in heaven. He was thinking earthly power. He was thinking freedom from other governments and the Romans. And so Peter, in all of his hubris, pulls Jesus to the side. He says, yeah, Jesus, come over here. And he rebukes Jesus. Think about that for a second. He pulled Jesus to the side and said, Jesus, you're wrong. Oh, but, but, you know, we would never do that. Right? We've never read some of God's word and been like, ah, you're wrong there. Right? We, we don't think we're smarter than God, do we? Well, he hasn't lived our experience. Hmm. Hmm. Peter rebukes Jesus. It is quite interesting to see that happen. And Peter kindly pulls the disciples over and rebukes Peter in front of everyone. Peter did it quietly. Thought maybe he could handle it there. And Jesus brings the disciples over and makes it clear and plain. He says, get behind me, Satan. For you are concerned about worldly things and not things of God. Imagine this, two minutes ago, he was praising Peter on his great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and on this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And two minutes later, he's, get behind me, Satan. Woo! Peter has stepped in it. 
But I like Peter. Peter's a bit stubborn, a bit thick-headed. So am I. It takes a while to learn things. Right? Because we'll even see later that when Jesus goes to the garden on the night that he's been betrayed, right after they've had this meal together, they're in the garden and they're praying. And the guards come. Peter still doesn't understand and realize that this is what Jesus has foretold. And he pulls out a sword. He is ready to fight to the death so that Jesus stays alive and the Romans are kicked out. He didn't get it. I appreciate that about him. Not only did he not get it, he, he thought, well, no, I will stay awake. Right? The, ro- the rooster's going to crow three times and you're going to deny me three times. No, not me. Right? Peter has this wild example of, of being brash and with great hubris. Right? He rebukes Jesus. He thinks he can walk on water with Jesus. He goes to fight to the death for Jesus. He denies Jesus after saying he wouldn't do it. And still after Jesus' resurrection, he restores him and loves him and says, those sins don't count against you because of what I did on the cross. Man, think of what Peter just messed up. He went from confessing him as Christ to being called Satan himself. It's interesting, but we can understand why Peter makes that mistake. We understand it. He was thinking worldly. Jesus makes it clear that he came for a bigger battle. For a spiritual battle. For our spiritual livelihood. Jesus came. And so when we look at it and we look at Cyrus the Great and we look at what happened, right? The Jewish people are off in captivity in Babylon and Cyrus the Great comes and conquers the Babylonians. Setting them free and he allows them to go home and build their temple. The temple is where God resides so that they could be in the presence of God. Jesus Christ Jesus, the Messiah, he comes and he's told us he's going to suffer, be rejected, die. And on the three days later, he's going to rise again. Jesus comes and dies on the cross, shedding his blood and being resurrected, conquering sin and death. And in doing so, he sets us free. Reconciling us by taking on our sins that we're reconciled with God. We're adopted sons and daughters of the God Most High. And he then allows us to go home to our Father. That's reading the scripture with these Jesus goggles. That's the good news. For since the fall of man, Since Adam and Eve have been exiled from the Garden of Eden, we have been in captivity to sin and death. And it wasn't until the Messiah, the Savior we needed, the suffering servant Christ, who went and carried his cross and bled his blood and died so that we would be forgiven, were we set free. Of him. And, and we, and one of the other things we make, we like to think that heaven is home. Heaven isn't home. 
But the scriptures speak in, in Revelation that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. There will be a time when paradise comes again. And so from the time of our salvation until then, we are learning to walk with and talk with and enjoy our Father's presence because when we get to paradise, oh, what a paradise that will be. To walk in the garden all over again without being encumbered by sin, without being encumbered by our frailties and our illnesses and our sins. Jesus as Messiah allows us to go home and be with the Father. And he says, and this impacts how you live. He gives them instructions. He says, if anyone wants to come after me and follow me, let them pick up their cross and follow me. See, the cross is a powerful earthly symbol. It's, it's a symbol of, of power and destruction that the Romans had over the Roman Empire and everyone that lived in it. By this cross, we control your life and your death. And Jesus says, pick up that cross because there is suffering that comes your way in my name's sake. You will suffer and face injustice on account of my name. But don't be ashamed of me and don't be ashamed of my work. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and still lose his soul? There was a king in the early Middle Ages, uh, the king of the France, and later became the Roman Empire, and this is Charlemagne. Charlemagne uh, was a Christian. A, a devout Christian, and he had all the riches in the known world at his fingertips. And, and all the stories point to his great compassion and generosity, that he would send money and supplies and anything that was needed to the poor and, and those who were oppressed all over the world and give away riches of his kingdom. And so later when they exhumed his tomb, they found his skeleton sitting on his throne with the crown still upon his head, with the four Gospels around him and his finger pointing to that very scripture. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Jesus makes it abundantly clear to his disciples and to all those who follow him Following Jesus isn't about living your best life now. Following Jesus is about going on the narrow way to paradise. To go home and be with the Father. That these earthly treasures we covet now are but dust when we get to be with him. You know, the saying goes, you never see a funeral procession followed by a U-Haul. Take all your stuff with you. 
a hard lesson to learn. It's one we struggle with. It's why it matters when he asks us, who do you say that I am? And it matters that we understand that he's the Messiah who sets us free from sin and death. Thank you, Jesus.